Hey, everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Now, normally on Crafted, we are talking to experts about the art and the business of various craft categories like craft beer, natural wine, coffee, honey, whiskey, and things like that. And if you want evidence of this, well, you can simply go back and listen to our last episode of Crafted, where Liz Rhodes, the head of whiskey operations for Whistlepig Whiskey, dropped some serious science on us about the process of making whiskey. But today, we are doing something a bit different here, and we are running the second installment of our Crafted Amateur Hour series, where we talk to people who aren't the experts or the shakers and movers in the particular field that we're going to be talking about, but they are insanely passionate about things like traditional hunting bows or watches or, in the case of ON3P Ski's founder, Scott Andrus, knives, as in chef's knives and cooking knives. Now, many of you are very familiar with ON3P Ski's because ON3P has established itself as one of the coolest indie ski companies in the world, and their founder, Scott Andrus, obsessively builds skis in the ON3P factory in Portland, Oregon. And we've had Scott on our Gear 30 podcast a number of times talking about his own craft, ski building. So you can head over to our Gear 30 podcast and do a search for Scott Andrus if you want to hear him get into the weeds about the thing he actually does for a living. But today, the question is how and why Scott became so obsessed with knives. And at a minimum, I think you'll gain a new appreciation for this particular craft. And by the way, just one other thing. Just after recording this conversation with Scott about knives, we hopped on over to a brand new podcast, but I guess it's a bit more than a podcast. It's a new thing we're doing called Blister Happy Hour. Now, it is only for our Blister members, but what we are doing is doing a live stream where a number of our Blister reviewers hop on with our Blister members And we chop it up. And I am asking some of our reviewers questions. Blister members last week were chiming in with a ton of great questions. And we had Scott Andrus jump in too. So there was some talk about ON3P and what's going on there. So if you enjoy this conversation with Scott and you want some very fresh ski talk, well, become a Blister member. Go over to the navigation bar on our website where it says Blister Member Info. And then you will be taken to a link where you can find our first episode of the Blister Happy Hour. And fun fact, tomorrow, Thursday, November 10th, we're going to be running our second Blister Happy Hour with a very special guest, Eric Hjorlifsson, a.k.a. Hoji. Hoji is going to be the guest of honor for Blister Happy Hour number two. So that's what's happening over there at the Blister Happy Hour. Become a Blister member, check it out, and join us Thursday, 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And as always, this episode of Crafted is presented by our Blister Craft Collective. This is a collection of outstanding companies in their respective fields, and they are supporters of the independent work we do here at Blister. And so we hope that you will check out their products and perhaps you will become a fan of theirs too. So you can check that out. We'll include a link to our Blister Craft Collective in the show notes of this episode. And now let's go ahead and get to my conversation about knives with ON3P Skis founder, Scott Andrus. Here we go. Scott Andrus, how are you today and where are you today? I'm uh, in rainy Portland, where it's thankfully not 90 degrees in October anymore. Mm. And uh, 
I walked home in the rain to do this podcast with you. <laughs> so someone had my car. So, so. You, you, this podcast may have caused you to catch a cold and get sick, but it, it's going to be worth it. I hope. Yeah, I get to blame you, so it's worthwhile. That's right. That's right. Well, listen, when I first had this idea to do amateur hour episodes, you were absolutely at the top of my list because what the people need to know is you have sent so many unsolicited photos of knives to me. Uh, I can't keep track anymore. You know, this is one of the things we like to do here is figure out how in the world people got obsessed with a certain craft category. So that is our work here today. But before we get there, we ought to have you tell people a bit about your own background and about this company of yours, ON3P Skis. Uh, so my name is Scott Andrus. I'm in Portland where I've been here since 2008. ON3P is essentially a small ski manufacturing company. I started in my garage in college in Tacoma, Washington. And uh, we're generally focused on, you know, really durable, really well-made sort of free ride skis. We've been here since 09 uh, here in Portland, making skis as many as we can. And that's all I pretty much do is think about building skis 24-7. <laughs> so, Well, apparently that and knives. Knives, yeah. And we should say, I mean, just to clarify for people, since this isn't that common in the United States, you guys really are really building skis in Portland, right? Can you explain more about exactly the sort of level or degree of manufacturing you're doing there in-house? Right now, we're almost fully integrated in, in our in-house production. So the only process right now we don't do out of house is our screen printing. And unfortunately, uh, our screen printer of 15 years, who's been in the industry forever, is retiring. Uh, so I literally was in a meeting this morning trying to figure out what we're going to do in terms of our base graphics going forward. And for anyone who's familiar with our brand, green green uh, screen printed bases is sort of our branding. So there's a lot up in the air right now as we kind of figure out if we try to bring screen in-house, if we go to a sub process, if we go to a die cut process, which is my least. We'll see uh, a lot of options right now as we work through in terms of that process. But in, yeah, in terms of the house, we do we we basically do everything outside of screen printing. So top sublimation, core CNC, we do our plastic CNC and prep for sidewalls, cutting bases, prepping edges, bending edges, layup. You know, we do all the finishing from a raw ski to a finished product. So, uh, and then we do all of our own distribution too. So, you know, it's pretty much start to finish in house on, you know, from raw materials to finished product. And since we're here on Crafted talking about, you know, craftsmanship and various craft categories, when you first started getting into building skis, were you already interested in and looking at all kinds of different craft categories and manufacturing processes across a bunch of different categories? Or were you mostly focused on like, skiing's cool, I want to figure out how to do that? Pretty good question. I'm probably just skis because it, it kind of got to a point where... You know, when I was early in college, I was skiing like Igneous and like Capital, Kingswood out of New Zealand. Yeah. So like just very small batch craft oriented builders. So um, it probably started there. Um, and then, you know, as you get older and have like a little more income to spend, you start looking at, you know, other things and get other interests. And I've sort of landed on this uh, high end kitchen knives as sort of like a, a nighttime hobby. So here we are. Here we are. Okay. So the knives portion of this. So how and when did you get into knives? So <laughs> I moved in April of 2021 and my brother and I bought a house in Portland that has an ADU. I'm in the ADU. He's in the main house. And I finally got like a nice kitchen and it was kind of like post election insanity. I, historically, I didn't live in particularly nice places. You go home and like you just get on the internet again and like check the forums and write emails. And I was trying to relax a little bit more at night. I can be pretty tense, I suppose. So <laughs> cooking was kind of one of those things I was like, I should probably teach myself how to cook. I'm in my mid-30s now. I don't, I don't know. Getting there. I moved into a place that had like an actual nice usable kitchen space and decided I was going to learn to cook and wanted to get a nice knife. And I think I started with like an $80 knife. Now I'm <laughs> like 50, 50 knives later, up and down. You own 50 knives? Not right now, but I've probably gone through about 50. 50 knives have come in and out of your life and your collection. About, yeah, maybe 40. <laughs> uh -huh. A lot. Uh-huh. I think it's yeah. 50 and now you're just 
realizing that what that sounds like. Yeah. So, um, yeah. My saving grace is they hold their value. Thank God. Okay. So, so are you now, would you be called a knife collector? Like you're not probably. actually preparing food with these things. You're just collecting these things. There's nothing that's not used. Okay. I've gotten, that's sort of been my, um, my barometer. If, it, if I'm not using something, I'll sell it hmm. at this point. But uh, I've gotten to the point where like I know the size and the type of knife I really like. And now I'm basically in that's I'm functionally at that point, like collecting various like blacksmiths or sharpeners, their version of sort of this like 230 to 250 Yoto carbon steel knife, which is, a, you know, it's a pretty high demand product for a lot of these small craft knife builders, basically. So, so it's good in that I'm not like, there was a period where I like want to try everything and I was like buying, you know, I'd buy like, the 210 and the 240 to see which I like. I find I'm like through that stage now. So like the knives I'm interested in now are much smaller in terms of like the subset of craft knives, which is good, but they're all expensive and rare, which sucks. So <laughs> wait a sec. Okay. A lot to unpack here. Going back to your first knife. So you're like, I'm a grown man. I should start learning how to cook. Fun fact. I have yet to hit that stage. I've had the thought I love, love, love good food. I am not carving time out in my life at all to like prepare good food. So, so a lot of this is going to be quite foreign to me. But anyway, that's that's probably the greatest irony here is I'm still not a very good cook. Oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm like good at cutting onions now. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, okay. So, you said the first knife you bought was an $80 knife. What was your process of like what your first knife was going to be? You went online and were reading a bunch of reviews? No, I think I just was like on like checked like a Reddit sub forum, probably some subreddit and was like, what's a good intro kitchen knife? And I think I ended up on like some Tajiro 8N chef knife, Western handle, um, which is just like, you know, like a VG10. It's just like a reasonably sharp, reasonably well-made reasonably affordable Japanese chef knife, you know, and it was, yeah, it was cool. I was like, this is, you know, if you've never used a good knife, there's a notable difference versus what most people are using in their home kitchen. So, okay. I want you to pause on this. By the way, I did buy a chef's knife because I was like, I kind of had that same internal monologue that you had about like, dude, it's really time. You should figure out like how Stop to make being a piece of shit. Yes, basically <laughs> that. So I bought, I talked about this um, maybe on a blister podcast, I think maybe with Cody Townsend. But so I went and just did a little bit of research. I ended up buying some pots and pans from a company called Maiden. Mm-hmm. And then I bought their chef's knife. Now, fun fact I've literally never used it, but mm. I have had people come to my house who have used it and are like, this is a pretty nice knife. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, so that is my background with yeah. knives. I've, I'm now done. I've exhausted my background with knives. But tell us, like, in your view, the difference between a kind of mediocre to lame knife to the kinds of things you're now into. What is the actual difference I would notice? You start getting really nuanced when you're getting into, like, different you know basically the same like spec knife between two different builders because you can have different hardness of the steel you know different shapes of the grind like is it a workhorse is it a laser like there's all these sort of terminology i think like most people would be totally fine just getting like a 40 dollar victoric knox like stainless steel chef knife they're like 40 bucks for like rubber handle they're like super common in kitchens and that's fine <clears throat> and then there's a bunch you know like i think in you know the stuff that we see here on the nice run in the u.s is generally like Wustoff. That's sort of like the nice German steel, you know, well-made. So as you get into nice Japanese knives, you're going to get a lot harder steel. So like German knives are generally like 55 to 58 on a hardness scale. Japanese knives are getting like 62 to 65. Wait a second. Pause. We got to talk about this scale. It's a hardness scale, right? So it's essentially how hard the Rockwell hardness, like we use it on ski edges too. It's the same. It's basically how hard the steel is. So with a, generally with a, like, like a Western knife, you get a, a slightly softer steel. It's more forgiving. It's less chippy, um, but it just doesn't get as sharp. Where a Japanese knife, you get a harder knife. It's going to hold an edge much longer. There are trade-offs to that. You can have, you know, it becomes a little more brittle, especially as you get like a really high, uh, high hardness. So they can be a little less forgiving, but you can get a much sharper edge on them generally. 
And then once you get a good edge on them, they last, the edge lasts much longer. So one, you're probably going to have a knife that gets sharper, stays sharper for longer. Uh, and then as you start getting to the nuance of like the grind, right? So like Western knives, like they just, there's not much science to a lot of the grinds. I've seen some Wusthofs with some pretty like terrible grinds on them. They're just not good. You get a lot more nuance when you get into Japanese knives where, you know, you can get convexity or S grinds or, and this isn't just Japanese knives. You just, uh, knife steps. So there's a lot of stuff in the States that is good and in Europe right now. So, um, but just high end knives, you get a lot more nuance and shape and, uh, the style of grind. So, and so, I mean, when we're talking about grinds now, I'm just thinking about skis and ski bases and I'm guessing actually this is somewhat comparable. There are going to be certain base grinds that are going to be better for a specific type of snow or condition or application. And that's sure. what we're talking about here. So think of like thickness of the knife. You can have like a workhorse grind. That's something that's like really thick that you might get um, some catching in like dense vegetables, like a carrot or potato. You can have on the other end of the spectrum, it's called a laser. It's like a very thin knife, you know, where you're getting very clean slices in uh, really dense, you know, vegetables, stuff like that. So you have that kind of stuff and then you can get into the the shape of the grind. So you know, a lot of the stuff I like have a convex grind. So essentially you have a slight curve to the grind. And the idea behind that is that it helps the food get off the knife, basically food release. Um, now people do that other ways. There's S grinds where essentially you have the knife come in and out. Same concept, like you're trying to get loose surface area contact of the food next to the knife, and then it's going to fall off. So you'll see people like a Takata, which is like, like a really old school looking kind of Japanese knife. So they do what's called a zero grind. So essentially he's hammering all the way down to the bottom of the knife. And then it just has a very small, like straight to the edge grind. And that's, you know, same type of thing. You're trying to get cut through material and have it fall off to the wayside. And first of all, I'm just gonna say, I don't know that much about knives. So just like prefacing, I'm like still definitely very new at all this. So anyone who knows more than me, and I'm probably saying stuff wrong, I apologize. But that's why we call it amateur hour. You're fine. You get a carte blanche. A lot of people new to knives, and I certainly fell in this category, I think lean towards lasers, which are just like a thinner grind. So um, sort of like the next knife I bought after the second was a Takamura 210. It's like a very high-end R2 steel. I think it's R2 or SG2. Um, it's like a very hard stainless steel, and it's a laser. And like once you start cutting vegetables with like a really sharp laser, it's insane how how well it cuts. I think as you get more comfortable, especially with bigger knives, I've I found myself gravitating towards more of a mid-weight knives that have a little more heft, a little more weight to them. I don't know. They feel a little more powerful in your hand. Hmm. Again, as someone who probably spends less time on food prep than like 99.9% of the human population, I'm finding myself struggling to believe that your obsession with knives really came down to like the hand feel and exactly how you're cutting your tomatoes and onions. So am I wrong about this or do we just really get into like, you think knives look cool and this is about like aesthetics and things like that? Well, I think, okay. So as you kind of start going down the rabbit hole more and more, you get beyond like somewhat of the cutting performance and then you start getting into the aesthetics, the steel types, you know, people do nice handles that have like horn or they have like, uh, you know, it starts getting an aesthetic choice to it. And then you, you know, you start getting um, people that will work in different finishes. So like a Karachi finish, which is like a uh, sort of like a blacksmith looking finish. You can have, uh, you know, Damascus or hammered. You start, there becomes a personal element after a while. And, um, as you get even deeper, if you get into carbon knives and you're starting to like do, you know, kind of build your own patina. So that's like a whole topic on topping like steel type, but it becomes sort of part of the journey when the knife, like you get a reactive knife and the knife is different every time you use it a little bit because uh, you're building patina as you use it. So the knife looks different. It doesn't perform different. Yeah. The knife. Yeah. You okay. get to, the, the steel is reactive. Okay. Um, so it will actually change color as you, as you use it. Okay. Now, can you reverse this for me? Can you like put this into ski terms? So like a, like a best system, if we were going to fit someone for a knife, kind of? 
not a fitting system, but just even like for me to not think you're psycho and all knife people are psychos who are worried about patinas and like exactly how they cut their tomatoes. So like make the case. It's like, all right, man, it's like with skis. You know, we currently have, I don't know, 300 plus pairs of skis and blister headquarters. And I don't think any two of those skis perform exactly the same way. But with the knife thing, like, I don't know, can you make the case for like, why, like, why do you own 40 and you're claiming you only, oh, you don't currently claim 40. I'm under 20 now. (laughs) Okay. Why you own 20 knives that you claim, I think you're lying, but you claim you're actually breaking all 20 out at some point, say in a given month. The knives that I'm, I, I, my smaller knives, I definitely am neglecting more. So there's like a bunch of different styles of knife right so you have like from small to biggest you have like pairing that's like something that's like under 100 mils that's like a small knife you would like peel a tomato with you get into petties you know that's like a a small knife um you know you can like cut fruit with and stuff like that or do kind of detail work and then from there you get into kind of working knives so like santoku bunka gyoto essentially those are kind of just different shapes on a on a general knife right with a gyoto is just a chef knife um, I found, uh, like I can pretty much do everything now with like a 240 Gyoto. So I'm using those mostly. And I try to use them, like kind of cycle them a little bit. Um, uh, but I definitely have my favorites. So yeah, there's definitely a collector element. I mean, you don't need, you can get by with two knives. I could get by with two knives a hundred percent. So I can, like, there's no justification. It's like pure, just vanity at this point how big or small is the knife world and like how if people who are like into knives as you are i mean maybe this is analogous question to watches and kind of asking like well how big or small is the watch world i guess i'd say lots of people own a watch let's put the collector category at like people who own i don't know i make completely making this up but if you own four or five watches you're kind of into watches at that point. I think it's safe to say maybe you're kind of collecting watches. What feels right to you on that front? Like knives versus watches? I have no idea, to be honest. The number of people I've talked to really about this is like you and like one or two. <laughs> okay. And and they're not like they're they they're not, you know, it's like they're they're just appeasing me, letting me talk about something. So yeah, I don't I mean, I would say it's probably bigger than I think, but it's pretty small. And like, you think I'm bad with like, I don't know, 17 or 18, whatever I have now, there are people that have like 150, like I've seen photos of people's collections and I'm like, where the fuck do you store these knives? <laughs> like, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's just, I think like people who collect watches or people who collect, you know, nice scotches or something like that. It's just, you kind of get into it and then kind of get a little obsessive. So with scotch though. You're getting a different flavor, a different taste. You're getting to explore, see what you think of this scotch versus another. But again, on the knife side, I mean, with all these different things in the world that one could go become obsessed with, I'm still just wanting to hear you make the case like for why knives. And so you've talked about the functionality. I know you and you're busy and I don't see you like chopping onions and tomatoes and carrots for like two hours every night. Well, that's, that's probably the saddest thing. I'm in like single, I live alone. So like the, the dollar spent per onion cut, like onion <laughs> is like highly disproportional probably. So, you know, for someone that say works with their knives. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it, I obviously like the craft element. Crafting knives isn't just like smashing some steel, you know, so it's interesting to see, you know, people use shapes differently or how they profile differently or, you know, I have knives that will have the same type of um same type of steel but are different hardness like you can feel that a little bit on the stones you can feel it in terms of like the you know kind of the springiness off the board um like i use rubber like a specific type of rubber cutting board and it's kind of cool like just to kind of you know get a they kind of have like a little life to them at least the ones i use a lot so are we gonna have to do a whole separate episode dedicated to cutting boards just don't do bamboo there's the episode bamboo is terrible and i'm sure a ton of people listening have bamboo cutting boards don't use bamboo why because it's uh really hard on edges like it's it will dull your knife about as quick as any cutting board material will best material for cutting boards 
I think the best material is a like a Hasegawa, like a soft rubber uh, soft, cutting board. Soft rubber. That's what I've I've moved to is like a Hasegawa, which is like a specific Japanese. It's like a wood. It's like a wood cord with a soft rubber top, and it's super forgiving. You know, I'd be I'd be fine with like a like, you know like a walnut or a maple would be fine. Even you know, um, but yeah, just don't no teak, no bamboo is what you want to avoid. You know, for me, I'm like relatively new to cutting a lot of a lot of vegetables, so forgiving was good, and soft rubber is a very forgiving cutting surface. So to learn on, so that's where I went, and I've preferred it over the long term. This is so funny because we talk about, you know, skis being more or less forgiving. And now we're talking about, I guess, cutting boards being more or less forgiving. I don't even know what you mean by that. If you have a well, one, it keeps your knife sharper longer if you don't, you're not having a okay. very coarse, right? So like if you're against a bamboo, it will dull your knife. You'll have to sharpen it more gotcha. or hone it more. And then two on a, you know, a high, uh, high Rockwell steel knife, like you can chip it if you either, you know, that's like the one disadvantage of really, you know, high sh- or high um, Rockwell uh, in terms of knives is like they're more prone to chipping. So if you hit like a seed, you can chip it. Or if you like, bet, you know, these knives get so thin that you can sometimes like kind of bend it with your fingernail. They can chip if you kind of like twist funny. So it's like I've used wood boards where like you'll sometimes hear like a ping uh, when you know like you're you're tensing the, the edge of the knife, which is not good. Okay. So, so we don't... Yeah, so it's... We don't want cutting boards that are breaking our knives. No. Yeah. Seems ideally not. Seems right. You've also texted me photos of knives with slightly broken tips that you then write back and you're like, it's fixed. Like it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. And I'm like, one knife, but okay. I bought a knife secondhand from a Swedish. It wasn't from, it was a Swedish maker that has like a year long wait list that anyway, someone had in the forum and as his wife was uh, boxing it up, she dropped it and tipped it. So like snapped the tip off. So wait, she did not snap. Well, okay. Just to be clear, when it says for other people, maybe closer to on the spectrum to me where they don't know stuff about this, when you say snap the tip off, we're not talking about some big chunk. We're talking like two mils, probably. Two mils. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, yeah, a local, the local shop here at Portland Knife House was able to fix it in like five minutes, which was pretty wild. And how do you do that? Well, it, with a chip, normally you have to like use stones or, or belts, like to literally remove material up, up to the chip. So Got it's it. like a huge hassle. Yeah. So I thought that was going to have to, to this, I was like kind of bummed because it changed the profile. They actually just went the other way and brought the top of the knife down to the chip. So they, instead of grinding from the, the blade side, they actually ground on the, uh, you know, sort of the heel of the knife down and just shortened it. I was just like, oh, that's smart and easy. So, yeah. Thank God. Lesson learned. Yeah, I could have, seeing it now, I could have done it. I just didn't think of it or didn't know. Wait, would you have just like taken it to the ON3P factory and like ground yeah. it? Wow. Okay. Yeah, the D-flasher and just ground it down. Yeah. That's pretty much what they did. Like we had the tools to do it. I just didn't, you know, I didn't know. So. Okay. Let's get back into this sort of obsessive part. And I wonder, you can either just speak for yourself personally at this particular moment in time, unless you feel more comfortable speaking in generalizations here, but where do you think people are obsessing the most? What portion or element of the knife are people the most obsessed with, right? And what? So it's potentially the patina. It is the material for the blade or it is the handle itself. Those are three. And I I take it I'm not wrong about those things, but there's probably 30 other elements of a knife I don't even know about. So the most obsessive things, like the things that people chase is patina. So like if you go to a knife forum, there's like guaranteed to be a thread. It's called like like, um, the blue thread. Like it's like the thread of people chasing blue patina. And like, so like, especially when you cut like a lot of meat will leave like a really, really blue patina on a carbon steel knife. Um, people will chase that and show it off. And I've certainly been in the category of I've reset the patina on knives because I wasn't happy with the, the color of the patina. I wanted to reset it. I've kind of moved past that now because now, especially with the number of carbon steel knives, um, like patina adds rust protection to your knife. Mm-hmm. So having a good stable patina makes it easier. Like if you've got a, like, especially here in Oregon where it's pretty wet, um, you know, if I leave these knives out, especially if they're new, like uh, you can get a little rust on the edge just from the air. Hmm. which is obviously not good. So I think if you go to the kitchen knife forum or one of them, there's a, there's probably, I don't know, like a hundred pages of blue patina. So in terms of obsession that the big thing right now, I think is certain 
blacksmiths are like that are really rare. Yeah, people are pretty obsessed with certain builders, certain manufacturers. Do we call yeah, them so manufacturers? Do we call them builders? Do we call them? It's kind of tough. You got some one man shops um, like Jiro in Japan. He's sort of like a one man, like super hard to get. Brian Rakin, I can't his branch. I don't want to say his last name. Um, I tried to buy a knife of his a little bit ago. It go on sale right at like I don't know, like nine a.m. Pacific, and I, I never even saw it go in stock. Uh, like it was just, it just <laughs> was gone. It was like what the fuck. Like I'm usually pretty good those type of things. Um, I'm on like I tried to get on the wait list for uh, Yannick Puig knife, and like I didn't even get on the wait list before he closed it. Like I thought I, you know, there's people that have like wait lists for like a year. So there's certain knife. Um, blacksmiths so like that are small shops that do both or you can get like certain sharpeners um so like a kind of suke fujiyama is like a really specific sharpener done by one guy his and his work is starting to show up in other other um blacksmiths but yeah it's people you know it's like whatever the hype sharpener hype blacksmith is it's, it gets extremely difficult to find their knives right now you know where they're doing like one or two a week so one or two a week yeah so that's my guess wow yeah Huh. Okay. So you've talked about a number of specific manufacturers, builders. Tell me about a few of your favorite, just again, at this particular point in time, a few favorite companies or one man shows. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. So the, I have four Myogen, uh, like, which is like a Kanesuke, Myogen Fujiyama. It's, um, they're like a blue one or a blue two. Actually, I have a white one too. Uh, those are steel types, but uh, they're like a, a specific Japanese sharpener. Those are probably my favorites. I have a, um, they have this like sort of like mythical knife that I don't know, they sent like 20, I think it was like 20 to the States over two years um, called like Kanju. I can't remember exactly, but I got a blem that like wasn't finished. It's like, it'd be like a Fujiyama thick blue one in 240. That's my favorite knife. Like, and I, I don't think you literally can't get it and it's a blem. It was like not good enough quality for them to keep keep pushing it on this uh, polishing process. Um, so I have that. I have a, a Brian Rakin. I think that's how you say it. He's French. That's uh, like it's like a, it looks super rustic. It's like this like really this like wild burnt handle. It looks like a knife. If you saw it a hundred years ago, you'd be like, oh, it's like some like crazy guy in a garage, you know, or like some castle making knife or something. But um, it gets that's the knife of all my knives. It gets the sharpest. Like it gets unbelievably sharp. Um, which one is that like, again it's like a 230 brian rakin kyoto if i were to keep two right now it'd probably be that and that 240 hmm. fujiyama so like they're all they're all pretty good i have a fujiyama cleaver too because it's like a vegetable cleaver so if i want something that's like really heavy um so you're chopping also, you're chopping up some squash over there in portland something like that yeah wow it's pretty fun it's kind of wild because it's so heavy like it kind of does the work for you it's a different technique. So like if you go watch like some uh like some of the Chinese chefs that do vegetable stuff with these like large heavy cleavers are it's pretty wild. So yeah, so those I mean those are probably my two favorite knives is that that the knife from Brian and then the newest one I got was a Bedrick Spar or Spare, I don't know. It's, I don't I like to say that, his name either. I like that you don't know how to say any of the words. I've never talked the, to anybody about these. But knives, it's fine. So. Again, it's fine. It's called amateur hour. Now yeah. One question back to Patina. So you're talking about purchasing knives. Are people purchasing knives with a specific patina or is that not cool? Like you got to build up your own patina on your 40 some knives that we, of course, all own. Um, <clears throat> there's definitely a process. There are some people that will do patina ahead of time. So like Steelport is like a newer uh, company actually here in Portland. I, I would like to go see him that does a carbon steel knife. They use a coffee patina. So like you get a knife with a preformed patina. So that does happen. But generally, if you're buying a carbon steel knife, it's going to be, it will be raw and you'll be building up your own patina. I would say that's most of, most of the case I've seen. That's, so, what, that's what I've always said. You got to build your own patina, bro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's my, my motto. In our correspondence about knives, you, I believe, actually once used the term knife quiver. Now, again, in ski land, we talk about ski quivers all the time. I would like to hear you speak to the notion of a knife quiver. I think in the knife, they would really call it a roll. A knife roll. A, 
Oh. That's like for people who act, you know, if you're, and if you actually work with your knives and aren't just like a. How do I use that in a sentence? I, uh, I don't know. This, this is what's in my knife roll. Hey bro, what's in your knife yeah, roll? It's my knife roll. Okay. Sort of, I suppose that's, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I would say you could do literally everything with a, uh, like a one, I have a 165 utility, a Harry Hodo that's, uh, like clad. It's carbon steel, but it's clad. So I don't have to manage it that much compared to like a full carbon knife and then a 240 Gyoto. Like between those two knives, you literally could do everything. Okay. So it kind of, what I sort of am hearing you say is any self-respecting adult should own at least two knives. Any sane self-respecting note should just get a Victorinox Petty for like $5. They have these like little plastic and then a, a nice, a nice chef knife. And you, that's, that would cover everything. Okay. An eight inch chef knife or 10 or if you have the room for it or know what you're doing. 10's better. Okay. Okay. So you should own two. That's what any rational person would own, but you're currently at 17 or 18. I have 19 right now in my rack. In your rack. That's a nice knife roll, man. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk price ranges. So you just have mentioned a like $5 Victorinox. So apparently I, I can literally, I don't know if I believe you, you can buy a Victorinox knife for $5. I'm sure. I think the little petties. Okay. I'm not sure what they call it. It's a little pairing knife. Yeah. What is the price point in your view again today where things just kind of went exorbitant when it comes to price? Like skis, most skis are going to be kind of, I'd say $700, $800, $900. And if the higher above $900 you're going, we're starting to move into the outlier side. But then even on the most expensive end of the ski spectrum, 1600 1700 you're really kind of hitting the ceiling at that point right there's a couple ridiculous not manufacturers but fancy lux brands that slap their name on some skis that they did not make and then they'll charge like 10 grand or 12 grand for those but that's we don't count those cuz no one's really buying those give me like the range in the knife world well, on the top, I, th- I think it's like Bob Kramer. So there's like some guy that makes these like $50,000, wow. like $50,000. And they're like, just like the cringiest, cheesiest shit you've ever seen. Okay. Like, like dragons lasered into the handle. Okay. Uh, there's, okay. Yeah, there's like crazy shit like that. You can get, I mean, like 175 to 300, you can get like a super nice Japanese knife. Something that will last you, you know. A long time if you take care of it like that's that's going to be super top end as you start getting above 300 that's where you start getting into like you're starting to get into aesthetics or who's who's the blacksmith or stuff like that where you know i think the the performance increase relative to what you're spending probably starts to diminish okay that's super helpful that's that's where you're getting yeah it starts to become like a collector status so like you know if you have 300 bucks like and i think i don't know what a nice loose stuff is right now but um i'm sure it's almost $200 or something like that. I don't know. We should probably look. Um, you should probably look. You're on a podcast about knives right now. Well, I don't... Uh, actually, I do own a Wustoff. It was the first knife my parents got me when I uh, graduated college. It's a little... It's on the rack. You'll see it. But uh, I use it for cheese. <laughs> oh, your cheese knife. Yeah. <laughs> it's my cheese knife. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you're willing to spend 250 on a knife, 300 on a knife, you can get something that be super, super high end and last a long time. Super, super high end for 250 to 300 bucks. Yeah, you can get a good knife. Okay. But when you're moving into these, you know, really interesting individual builders. Then you're paying more. And is like, what's the floor for those ish? Like, are those starting at 300? Um, probably high 300s. And then you're going up to seven, 800. So seven, 800. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now we're getting into the ski range. Kind of, yeah. Which is pretty crazy if you think about it. But yeah, I mean, some of these are very small batch. And, you know, and if you have something that someone's like doing start to finish from you know, the, the blacksmithing all the way through sharpening. So. In the like knife dork world, are people kind of like obsessed with certain construction techniques? Or is it like, oh... This manufacturer uses the ancient technique developed in the fourth century 
is like, are those the conversations or are we actually pushing into like more modern manufacturing processes? How does that work? Uh, it's mostly, you're getting into like how they temper and stuff like that. And most everything's Sanmai, which is like sort of like a, um, think of it as like a soft, like a soft steel, hard steel center sandwich. It's like a ice cream sandwich where you have like the core steel is the center and then you have soft steel on the outside. That's going to be like the vast majority of knives you're seeing are built that way. And you can have variations on that where like the soft steel will go over the top. I can't remember what that's called. The other thing you'll see is sort of like a hanaki, which is like a, um, basically like a single type of steel. And in that process, they'll actually protect parts of the steel so it won't temper as much. So you basically have like a heel that's softer steel and then you have a harder. So most everything's going to be a sanmai, which is like a folded, like I think, I think everything I have probably is that. I don't have anything that's monosteel. So, so yeah, that's, and then, you know, from there, it's like, how are they maximizing, um, you know, the performance of the steel in terms of how they prep it? So like how they're heating it, how they're tempering it, how they're hammering it. And then you get into like, how well is it ground? Is it, um, you know, so, and that stuff's so much, per- that's where it gets really personal on like how you like one, mostly for the builder, because you'll have people that will do stuff that is, um, you know, they're grinding it to spec. And then you have people that will do sort of hammer stuff and they basically create the profile um, in the steel. And then they only grind a little bit. So like a, like I said, Takata, which is out of Japan or a catch side, who's a Brit. That's where you start getting a lot of variety in terms of what people are making. So, and then, I mean, you also get into polishing and like surface, like, is it a, you know, Kasumi is like a polish type, you know, specific type, sort of like a cloudy polish is, that's what I'm trying to teach myself right now is how to do my own Kasumi polish, um, which is like hard. Um, <laughs> so I have, I have a knife that I, uh, I, uh, a lot of knives will, they'll, um, they'll come with a lacquer because they're carbon steel. So you have to protect them while they, you know, while they're shipping or they're being transported and stuff like that. And I like thought I screwed the lacquer up. So I like touched it with some sandpaper, screwed up this, like it's a metal flow, which knife guys will know what that is. So i I've like polished it down and now I'm trying to teach myself how to bring it back as a consumer and it's hard. <laughs> Your biggest thing at the moment is knife polishing. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to teach myself how to, how to bring back a consumer finish on stones right now. So do we call that, we call that not knife polishing, but knife the, finishing? It would be polishing. It's a polishing. type of polish. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. Now, O3P customers who are like, hey, man, where's my skis? They're going to listen to this and be like, oh, he's over there polishing knives all night. That's why I don't have my skis yet. Yeah, the, it's not really like that, though. It's just like, I'm mostly like, you know, you're reading a little bit and I, you know, I have a knife that I, I'll, I've tried one round of polish with one stone. It's okay. like, like an hour. So okay. I've got to get the right stuff at some point to do it. I'm pretty good at sharpening now. That was been, that's been. You've, uh, Mastered the art of sharpening. I haven't mastered it, but I'm good. I'm, but you're good. I'm good enough at it to get knives pretty sharp. Okay, yeah. is that a process? What do you have? Did you learn like the secret trick? Mm-hmm. Uh, just YouTube <laughs> and whetstones. <laughs> YouTube, <laughs> YouTube and whetstones. Yeah. Okay. There's um, more than enough. You too can become a master knife sharpener. Proficient. Um, yep. Knife sharpener. YouTube and whetstones. Okay. I should let you get going soon back to the factory, uh, your factory to actually build skis. If I was going to gift you any particular knife in the world, Fuck. what would you most be <laughs> hoping that I gifted you? If I got it any knife, it'd be a, it'd be a Yannick Puig, the French uh, blacksmith, and like a, like a 240 long Giotto that was like about 55 millimeters tall at the heel. Okay. That would be... And like dealer's choice on, on a wall handle hmm. would be that that's like my, that's the knife maker who I'm like, I'm not even on the wait list for. Huh. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know. it's like, um, I actually have a, a Honeski from him, which is like a chicken, uh, I use it to break chickens down and huh. it's unbelievable. So, um, okay, good. I was writing all that down. So I think I got it. And, um, roughly what is that going to set me back? Oh, uh, that's probably six hundred dollars. Okay. I don't know. I to be honest, I've never seen one of his knives for sale where I've been able to publicly <laughs> see it because I don't because they like. I think he they just go out to this like email list he has. Hmm. And I'm not on it, so I don't know. 
So I've so, seen them used in the used market go for like a thousand. Wow. Up okay. to a thousand. So. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So but, I need uh, to try to get on that now instead of gifting it to you. I want to get on that email given, list and I, then get I've one. I've given up hope. Then yeah, I, just, I, I'm going to get one and then just send you photos every day of me chopping like one tomato. I'll definitely, <laughs> um, by the way, I'll definitely disappear. You know, there's a lot of different types of knives out there in the world. We're really calling these kitchen knives. It seems like there should be a fancier, cooler title. Just a Kyoto? A chef knife is a Kyoto? Okay, that's a cooler. Yeah, just say it not just in so- English definitely makes it sound cooler for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton, there, you know. Like, I think there's like one that's really common, like a Santoku is really common in Western knives. That's sort of that, like, I don't know, like a six inch sort of like squatty looking chef knife. They're pretty popular out here. Um, that's yeah. And then a Bunka is basically like a Santoku with like a cooler tip, like a slanted tip. So it looks cooler. Um, and then, I mean, from there, there's a ton. Deva, like, uh, Shiziki. But, but if stuff. we're just trying to figure out, the name for this whole broad category. I mean, you mentioned cleavers, but but aside from that, we would be talking about these are just chef's knives. Yeah. Okay. I don't know another name. Yeah. Okay. There's no cooler name. There's no cooler name. Um, At least that I know of. There might be, but... Let's say I'm splurging. I'm buying my knife in the $175 to $300 range. How long should these things last? And what is the maintenance like? How much maintenance do I have to do? I'm not that great at maintenance on things. How much do I have to do? Or can I just, these things take care of themselves? I mean, realistically, they should last a lot, you know. A hundred years. I mean, if you're not, if if you're a professional chef where you're sharpening your knife a lot, then, but I mean, all the knives I have could last, you know, my lifetime, you know, reasonably, a long time, you know, like a a lot of use. Um, In terms of maintenance, I mean... Like the, so, if you want no maintenance, basically outside of sharpening, just get something that's stainless. So, in you know, like a Wusoff, you know, in a Western or something that's either like a BG10 or a um, like an SG2, which is like a higher end stainless, um, something that you don't have to wipe down and don't like it's not going to rust. So you can you know leave it <laughs> on your cutting board and like serve and stuff like that. If you have even the stainless clads, like that's where, you know, talking to Sanma, you have a stainless, you have stainless outer parts and then the core steel is, is carbon. You know, that, just that little bit of steel in the end will rust. And then if you have a full carbon steel, like I, you know, when you're, I basically have like a wet towel and a dry towel and I'll just wipe down my knife as I'm using it in process. So I'm not leaving it sitting wet, basically. Um, so it take like a carbon steel knife takes a lot more maintenance. So if you're not open for managing managing rust when it's just sitting like so you know carbon steel knives a lot of people will oil them basically to protect them um, and you're not willing to like clean it quickly after using it then yeah you're just gonna have a lot of problems it's not worth it you should just go with the stainless sharpening wise um the disadvantage like the reason people go with carbon is that they're much easier to sharpen so like i and that's one of the things i found is that i had a, a number of knives that were like sort of like an sg2 or an r2 um, which is like a very hard stainless and it's just kind of a pain in the ass to sharpen or like a blue one or a, a, even like a white is like mindlessly easy to sharpen. Well, any final thoughts here, Scott? If you were going to make one last pitch to get more people as interested in this wonderful world of chef's knives, you know, to bring all the joy that they have brought you, make the case here in the last minutes of this conversation. Is it bad that I said don't? Because I don't need more competition getting these knives. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, I just, I don't know. If you, if you enjoy cooking, it will enhance your experience. And, you know, I mean, I, I find that I get more consistent results with a nice sharp knife that's designed for actually performing well. And these, you know, these like, like we do with skis, like these guys, this is all they think about is knives all day long. So um, it's nice, you know, it's nice to have something that talk to the, to the blacksmith and, see what they were thinking and it, i don't know the knife community is pretty small but there's like a pretty robust kind of like instagram and it's pretty like it's pretty interesting how there's a lot of communication it seems like with between builders there's like some collaboration stuff like that that's cool um so yeah i mean i would say getting one nice knife is sane and uh, it will make your experience better you don't need to do what i did 
to get that experience. <laughs> Don't be so, like me. Don't be like me, kids. Basically. Uh, do you have a favorite knife account to follow on social media? I mean, they're just the builders. Um, oh, just the builders themselves. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, they, you know, they, you know, they're posting the knives of their process. So, uh, there are some knife makers that are a little more interactive. Um, they're interesting, but it's all, I don't know. It's just looking at pictures of knives on your phone. (laughs) That's why like, I, you know, I don't really know all that much. It's like a, just absorbed to that. So. Gotcha. Well, Hey man, this is fun. Thank you for doing this in a public forum as opposed mm. to, you know, just one-on-one. I'm very happy. Now to- my shame will be public. Basically. That's right. Yeah. I'm very happy to out you to the world uh, as being somebody that is wildly obsessed with chef's knives. But again, who are we to judge? Because I, I do think the details and the craftsmanship about all of these different, different categories of craft products... I think it is all interesting. And so I'm, I'm really happy you were uh, willing to get on and talk about what in particular you have found to be so interesting about this genre. So thanks, man. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one. Well, that's it for this edition of Crafted. I want to say thanks to Scott for the conversation. And remember, if you want to hear a fresh conversation about skis with Scott, then become a Blister member. Head over to the Blister member clubhouse on the navigation bar on our website, and you will be able to catch the video of last week's conversation with Scott. Podcast version of that will actually be dropping soon soon as we get the new blister happy hour feed up and running and then for blister members tomorrow thursday november 10th at 6 p.m mountain standard time we've got our second blister happy hour with our very special guest eric hurlifson aka hoji aka one of the best big mountain skiers of all time so that is going to be a good time Now, I also want to say thank you to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these crafted conversations, we would very much appreciate it if you would support this new venture of ours just by leaving us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. I love these conversations. I hope you are enjoying them too. So let us know and let's keep this whole thing going and growing. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. And we will talk to you again real soon.